Bibles to Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31. The title tonight is Motherly Words to King Lemuel. Motherly Words to King Lemuel. The Bible shows us that God is the one who established marriage and the home. It wasn't a bunch of cavemen long, long ago who decided, you know what, let's, let's, let's uh, create this thing called marriage, and thus marriage was created. Again, marriage and the home was instituted by God. The human government, human government was instituted by God. The local church was instituted by God. But the basic institution is the home. And if you'll notice, God created the home before government, before the church, before anything else. Because home is the basic foundation to the rest of those things. You may have heard this saying before. As goes the home, so goes the nation. That being the case, what does that say about our nation today? The Bible's definition of, uh, the Bible's definition of and the Bible's view on marriage and the family have been so attacked today. Not just today, but in the past, leading up to today. It's been so ridiculed, it's been so perverted today that we need to be reminded over and over again what the creator of marriage and the home has to say about his wonderful gift of marriage. Again, God instituted marriage. He gave away the first bride. You know, we see the father giving away the bride at a wedding. We wonder, I wonder who thought about that. God did. He brought Adam's wife to her. He instituted marriage. He officiated at the first wedding. He set the guidelines for marriage. And we need to remember that. And as long as you remember that and, you, and, and realize that's the foundation, you are always right when you speak about marriage regardless of what the world says or what they try to tell you. King Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He disobeyed God's law by multiplying wives and taking these wives from pagan nations that didn't worship Jehovah, the true and living God. And in a matter of time, these women won Solomon over to their gods. And the Lord had to discipline Solomon for his sins. Now, in contrast to this, the book of Proverbs magnifies the kind of marriage that God first established in the Garden of Eden. One man married to one woman for life. And again, it doesn't matter what the court tells us or what the, what the majority tells us. We learned about the majority this morning. It doesn't matter what popular opinion says. We answer to a higher power. All right? To God Himself. The husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And he's to be faithful to her. The wife is to respect her husband as the bride is to respect Jesus Christ. The wife is not to forsake her husband and to seek her love anywhere else. They are to enjoy each other and grow in their love for each other and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Solomon's day, the parents arranged marriages. Today, the couple falls in love and they get married. Now to us, we think about an arranged marriage and we think, man, how crazy that would be. I mean, that was, that's crazy to our way of thinking in our culture today. But in Solomon's day, a man and a woman got married and then they learned to love each other and expected to stay together for life. 
Today, a man and woman love each other, then they get married, and they hope to stay together for life. The book of Proverbs starts with these wise words of a father, and it ends with the wise words of a mother. Proverbs 1.8 says, My son, hear the instruction of your father. And here in verse 2, we hear the words, My son. Who is King Lemuel anyway? Well, we don't know for sure. Some think that the name Lemuel is Bathsheba's pet name for her son Solomon because there's no king named Lemuel throughout the scriptures. Again, it might be, again, a pet name like, you know, uh, my granddaughter, her name is Emery. We call her M or Emmy for short. It's our pet name for her. M is our pet name for her. The name that God gave to Solomon is Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord. The name Lemuel means devoted to the Lord. And just like chapter 30 was declared to be a prophecy, chapter 31 here is declared to be an utterance, according to verse 1. It was an utterance. Or a prophecy, meaning it's inspired by God. So chapter 30 and 31 are prophecies, that is, they're inspired. Look at verse 1. The words of King Lemuel, the utterance which which his mother taught him. Notice, let's go to verse 2. What, my son... And what son of my womb? And what son of my vows? Bathsheba is asking her son here, what can I say to you? Maybe she felt like she needed to say something to her son after seeing what his father did. How many times does the child child follow after the parent's uh, pattern, whether it's good or bad? How often do we see ourselves or some of our own characteristics in our own children? Maybe she saw some of the same characteristics of his father, David, in their son. And I remember one time when I was young and I wasn't in the Lord. And my mom one day told me, you're going to be just like your father. Because one night, you know, he came home and his buddies were carrying him in, arm over each other. And one day my friends did that, brought me home the same way. And she saw that and she told me that. She saw those same characteristics. And, you know, she remembered, Bathsheba remembered David's sin all too well and the consequences of their sin. It was David's sin, but she sinned too. But David was the initiator. She was just the temptation. And in Matthew 1, 6, it says that David, the king, begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Notice that the Holy Spirit doesn't even mention her name. Nor does the Holy Spirit call Bathsheba David's wife. Notice that. Because when God, under under God's command and God's rule and regulation, we are to be married for life. And though David had Uriah murdered and he married Bathsheba, Bathsheba was still Uriah's wife. Again, the Holy Spirit doesn't, doesn't call Bathsheba David's wife. Bathsheba sees the temptation that Solomon will be up against. So she gives him some advice. She says here in verse 2, What, my son? And what? The son of my womb. And what? The son of my vows. She's, she had dedicated him to God. Having a son was very important in that culture. And if your wife didn't have a son and all she had was girls, you could divorce your wife at that time if she couldn't give you a son 
As a matter of fact, when the, when the, when the, the, the wife was expecting a child and they, they get together and they have all this food, they had like a potluck and they were waiting for the son to be born. They were all excited. And if, if, if a girl was born, they'd pack up their stuff and go home. It was a big disappointment in that day, in that culture. And again, so much so you could divorce your wife if she couldn't give you a son. Because boys were very important in that culture. And that's why the women would pray for a son and they'd often make a vow to God. Lord, if you'll give me a son, I'll do this and I'll do that. And they make all of these promises. They would make vows to God just like Hannah did, remember? In 1 Samuel chapter 1, Lord, I will dedicate him to you. Look at verse 3. Do not give your strength to women nor your ways to that which destroys kings. Bathsheba may have been thinking about David's harem when she warned Solomon here about women. She knew what it was like to be married to Uriah, who was probably married only to Bathsheba. And then she knew what it was like to be married to David, who was married to Michael, Saul's daughter, and to Abigail, Nabal's uh, widow, and to Ahinoam, and Maacah, and Haggith, and and Abital, and Igla. David was married to all these, these ladies. He also had at least ten concubines. So we could probably safely say that that house was full of chaos and turmoil. She knew, Bathsheba knew what it was like to be a part of a harem. She knew what it meant for the women who were part of a harem. Jealousy, scheming, spitefulness, rival, resentment. And she knew what a harem meant for the king. It weakened his character and it threatened his throne. She didn't want that for her son. Verses 4 and 5. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. You know, it's bad enough for anybody to get drunk and to make a fool of themselves. But it's even worse for a person in authority to get drunk. Because you see, they're setting a bad example and because they might make a serious mistake while drunk, that affects the whole country. A drunk loses all sense of judgment and they have no sense of what's right and wrong. Drunkenness doesn't seem to be one of David's sins. He knew God's law for priests. In Leviticus 10.9, he knew the scripture that said, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you when you go into the tabernacle of meeting lest you die. This law was given right after Moses' nephews, Nadab and Babihu, offered strange fire before the Lord, Aaron's sons, Moses' brother. And when they went in there and they offered this strange fire before the Lord, it says they were instantly and supernaturally killed right where they stood. So the belief is that they were drunk when they were worshiping God. And Bathsheba knew enough about drunkenness so that, so that she didn't want her son to, to, to have this happen to them. She, she wanted her son to watch out for the false, ties, uh, false advertisements of alcoholic beverages or alcoholic drink, intoxicating drink. And again, why don't the commercials on TV show people stumbling around, falling down, being carried around by other people? Because they can't get around on their own. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 5, 17 and 18, Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit. 
You see, the Lord is an inspiring spirit while wine is an intoxicating and degrading spirit. Verses 6 through 7. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. The emphasis here on the king not drinking is followed by a rather strange and, you know, you think not a very good suggestion. Instead of enjoying drinking the intoxicating beverage himself, that is the king, it's, he's advised here to give the intoxicating drink to those who are less fortunate, who need it as a kind of comfort for their misery. Now, this is a strange command, and it's, you know, it's brought up several theories, and one of the theories is that it's been, it's been considered to be sarcastic. On the other hand, it's been interpreted as providing some relief for the less fortunate. You know, what was supposed to be given to kings is to be given generously to afflicted members of the kingdom who didn't have much comfort as it was. And even though this can only be a temporary fix, it's still recommended. It would bring them some joy, a temporary relief to their, to their poverty. But it's also clear that this doesn't excuse the king taking positive action in favor of those who are less fortunate. Verses 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. When a king messes around with women and wine, he's abusing his power. He should use his power to, be, to, to, to speak for those who don't have a voice, to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. A king who defended those who couldn't defend themselves and who were of little threat and made little contribution to him would be looked at as a fair and gracious man. He was to judge fairly no matter what the person's position was in society. And those who were easily oppressed were also to be defended by the king. He was to stand up for them. Bathsheba said to her son, Son, you need to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. You have to ensure justice, fairness for those who are being oppressed. Remember how Jesus spoke up for the woman that was caught in adultery? Now, starting in verse 10, starting with verse 10, to the end of the chapter, we have a song of praise to the virtuous woman. Solomon's married life was a total disgrace. And it was totally the opposite of his mother's sound teaching here. But he hoped that others might remember his words and take them to heart and to apply them. Now a man can inherit houses, he can inherit property, he can earn a living for himself, and, and, and through that living he may get all, gather all kinds of possessions on his own. But, Proverbs 19, 14 says, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The husband who admits God's goodness to him and giving him his wife will have a blessed marriage and he'll treat her like a gift. And when a husband takes her for granted, he grieves her and the Lord. And he is to love her, he should love her and be loyal to her all the days of his life. 
The book of Proverbs places the responsibility of guiding the home according to the wisdom of God on the husband because he was made the head of the home, not meaning he's better, not meaning he's superior or, more, or, or, or smarter. It's the order of God's creation. And so again, the man was given that responsibility. But as we'll see in chapter 31 here, the wife also has an important part in the home and family. Where two people love the Lord and each other, God can do something mighty there. God can guide and bless them. Now, how many of you heard, you don't have to raise your hand, but again, posing this question, you probably all heard, the way I should say it, how many of you heard that, that marriage is a 50-50 relationship? Wrong. It's 100%. Each one is to give 100%. And again, we say 50-50 because, well, you're not doing your part, uh, so I'm not doing... You're not called to do your part based on what your spouse is doing. God has commanded you. And it has nothing to do with, with the, 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 the warmness or, or, or the, the goodness of, of what your spouse is doing. You are to give 100% to her and devotion to each other and the Lord. Because when you're doing a 50-50, you're only doing half of what you're supposed to be doing. Every wife will either build up the home or she'll tear it down. Proverbs 14.1 If she walks with the Lord, she'll be a builder. If she disobeys God's wisdom, she'll be a destroyer. She must be faithful to her husband. Proverbs 12.4 says, For an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. And so again, being, uh, being addressed at this section of the scripture to wives, you can ask, are you a crown or are you a thorn? Which will you be? And beauty is not the only thing to look for. It's also important that a wife have wisdom and discretion. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about women and how fitting it is for Proverbs to end with a picture of a woman of strong character. Great wisdom with many skills and a lot of compassion. And some people have the wrong idea that the ideal woman in the Bible is timid. Even in, in, in society. Some people have the wrong idea that the ideal, the ideal woman is, is, is timid, shy, subservient, and totally domestic. Not true. This woman, this being described in the Bible, is an excellent wife and mother. And we see as we go along, and, and I'm going to boast a little bit about my wife, who's a blessing and, and again, a, a, a jewel in my crown. It says that in, here is, she's described as a manufacturer. She's a manufacturer. And I watched my wife take it upon herself to, to build, a, she wanted to build a banquette in the kitchen. And she, she built it. She did it herself. And it looks like we hired somebody to do it. The scripture here says that she's a manager and administrator. And she is. She she manages the home, the finances. And and I said, you know, way back, don't worry about it, dear, because, you know, it's it's difficult. I said, I'll take over. Well, the first month, I forgot to pay the light bill, and we got (laughs) warning notes. She goes, okay, Joe, I'll I'll take it over. I'll take it back. All right, dear, I, I guess I'm not as good as I thought I was at this. It says here that she's a realtor, as we'll see later on, a realtor. And I remember two of the houses that we sold, you know, in our almost 50 years of marriage, she sold it. She says, I'm going to sell it. 
I'm not going to pay a realtor, all this commission, whatever. And she took it and she ran with it. She found out what she needed to do and she did that. Seamstress. We see here how she's, a, the, the woman who described her is a seamstress. And I remember my wife, Kathy, wanted a piano for our girls. But pianos were expensive. And when she went to a yard sale one time, and, and again, we looked at how God brought this before her. The lady was selling a piano. But, you know, it was, it was, it was expensive. Even though it was at a yard sale, it was a nice piano. And um, Kathy was saying how she liked this piano, and she'd been praying for one for, for the, her daughter and, and for our daughters. And, and the lady said, well, can you sew? She goes, yeah, I can sew. And she goes, well, well you know, I, I want, I've been looking for somebody to make a slip cover for this couch. Now, Kathy, never, she, she says, I've never made a slip cover for a couch. But she said, because God showed her this piano, she says, I'm going to give it a go. She made that slip cover for that couch, and the lady loved it. And they traded, they barred for the piano. So again, we look at that as, again, as a, a, um, an answer to prayer. It shows here in the scriptures that, that this woman here is an upholsterer. I've seen my Kathy take chairs and reupholster the, the cushions and the padding and, and, and all of that. And, and she, she, it's like, where do you learn that stuff? She goes, I just, because you know, she just does it. It just seems to come natural to her. A businesswoman. It shows here that, the, that this lady described here as a businesswoman. And I remember when we used to live in the mountains, way up by the grapevine. And um, again, how all this goes together, I know that it had to be God, but I don't even know how to begin to describe this. Is that, you know, there were contractors up there that were building homes. And Kathy, you know, decorated our home. And it was beautiful. It was really nice. And wall, she, she does wallpaper really great. And, and the contractors say, hey, who, who did your wallpaper? Because, well, well, I did it. And so he said, hey, you know what, we'll, we'll, I'll pay you to come and do my spec homes if you'll do the wallpaper. And so she, she started a, a wallpaper business, and then some of these contractors said, hey, you know, and, and, and you know, if you'll do my uh, wallpaper, and she said, well, I'll tell you what, you know, I'm looking to, we want a patio built, but we need the yard graded. I'll, I'll do this if you'll grade the yard. So she bartered and she traded, and we got a lot of things done like that. But those are just a few of the things that, that she's, you know, that Jesus blessed our home with. You know, she's not afraid to get her hands dirty. She will take on projects. She will do whatever. She'll do anything. You know, from all the amazing things that she can do, they're a result of her love and her reverence for God. And in our society today, it's all about, you know, and a typical of guys, physical, physical appearance. But did you notice here, appearance is never mentioned. Her attractiveness comes totally from her character. But I lucked out. I got, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm blessed. I got both. <laughs> I got both. The woman described here has outstanding abilities. Her family's social position is high. And in fact, this, not, this may not be just one woman at all. This may be an example or a combination of the ideal picture of womanhood. And again, not looking at her as a model to imitate her in every detail. Because, you know, this is, this is quite a description here of, of, of this woman. 
but it, it, like a model to, to, to be a, a, what, you, what you strive for. You know, looking at her as an inspiration to be all that you can be as a woman. You know, you can learn from her. You can learn of the hard work, the integrity, and the resourcefulness. And this is the best description in the Bible of the ideal wife in verses 10 through 31 based on what is described here. So again, what kind of wife is described here? Well, we're going to go through this now. Look at verses 10 through 12. She's a woman of character, verses 10 through 12. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, and so he will have no lack of gain. Verse 12. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Again, she's a woman of character. Just like wisdom is, an important, is, is more important than wealth, character is more important than jewels. Peter also spoke about the woman of character in his day in 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 6. Mar- marriage does not change a person's character. And I, I used to remember counseling some of these young couples and you know, one, one, one fiancé or the other would say, well, you know, I, I really don't like this about, you know, my boyfriend or my fiancé. Or he said, you know, this is one thing. I, and, and he says, but I know that, you know, once we get married, that'll change. No. Somebody said, you may marry a person, but you get stuck with a character. Marriage does not change a person's character. If there are character weaknesses in either spouse, marriage is only going to bring it out. And it's going to highlight them. You've all heard that love is blind. Marriage is the eye-opener. Marriage is the eye-opener. A husband or wife who hopes to change his or her spouse after they say, I do, man, they're in for a big surprise. If the husband and wife trust each other, There will be harmony in the home. Her husband isn't suspicious or afraid as she's busy at her work. Why? Because he knows she has character. And she's not going to do anything but good for him and their family. If bride and grooms take the vows of love and fidelity seriously, they will repeat to to each other and to God at the altar. You know, if they take those vows seriously... And, and with love and fidelity, as they repeat it to each other and to God, they will have a wall of confidence around their marriage that will keep them or keep out every enemy. Look at verse 11. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. <clears throat> the virtuous wife's husband is mentioned three times in verse 11, 23, and 28. And he's, he's referred to him as him. I'm sorry, and he's referred to, the husband's referred to as him in verse 12. His confidence in her is complete. He trusts her because of her careful management of the home and family. That enriches their family's wealth. He doesn't lack anything of value that's needed for his household. Look at verse 12 again. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. This kind of woman is a blessing. You know, not a millstone to her husband. Good, good comes to him that can, be direct, that can be directly credited to her. She supports and encourages him. She's faithful in helping him all her life. In verse 13, she seeks wool and flax and willingly, notice, willingly works with her hands. 
She's not afraid to work. She's involved in weaving. Remember I told you the part of the character was sewing? She's a seamstress. She's involved in weaving and sewing according to verse 13, 19, 22, and 24. She uses wool, flax, and linen in verses 22 and 24, that which is made from flax. It says she's willingly, she willingly works with her hands. It, it literally means with the delight of her hands. She works with the delight of her hands. It suggests that she enjoys her work. Verses 14 and 15. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet day and provides food for her household and a portion for her maid servants. Whether it's going to the market for food, the virtuous wife is like a merchant ship. Is like the merchant ships that brought unusual and fascinating merchandise from other places. She also brought interesting and unusual items home from her shopping. Though she has household help, and again, this woman seems to be well-to-do. She also brought, uh, like I said, though she has household help, it says that she gets up early before daybreak to help prepare breakfast and food for other meals and to delegate work to her servants. Verse 16. She considers a field and buys it. From her profit, she plants a vineyard. So again, here's her business transaction. She's a businesswoman. Whether it's going to the market or whether she's buying real estate or she's planting a vineyard, she's up early. She's busy with her work. In this wealthy household, it seems that she had money to invest. Then, out of the earnings that she made from the various ventures like trading, according to verse 18, and selling, according to verse 24, she plants a vineyard. Notice, she has a business mind and she works hard. Verse 17, she girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. In other words, she works energetically with drive and she's, uh, she has a healthy attitude toward work. It gives the idea that, that before this woman goes to bed at night, she makes a mental list of the things that she has to do the next day and she doesn't waste a minute doing, you know, being idle. Whether spinning thread, whether she's helping the poor or she's making clothing for her children, she prepares the very best for her family. Verse 18. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. Her wise business dealings are again referred to in verse 16 and 24. And, and the, the words there that, that her lamp doesn't go out at night, it speaks of her planning ahead. Verse 19. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. Again, speaks of her sewing. Verses 13, 19, 22, and 24 refer to her weaving and sewing. She makes cloth by spinning wool or flax. We saw that in verse 13. Now, she does it on a distaff. Now, a distaff, <clears throat> you may have seen it, <clears throat> it's that stick <clears throat> with the thread that's wrapped around it. Well, she's got the, 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 the distaff in one hand, and she uses a spindle, again, for weaving and sewing this cloth. Verse 20. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. This woman here, she's a generous person. She's a generous woman. The virtuous wife is also so selfless and generous. She takes care of her family, and yet she also watches for those who have needs. And she does what she can to help those that have needs. She sells some of the things that she makes for profit. But she also gives some of the things that she makes to the needy and to the poor. 
And verse 20 possibly refers to her giving cloth that she has made to the poor who don't have any. So happiness comes to those who have mercy on the poor. Proverbs 14, 21. And nothing given them, and nothing to give them in the name uh, of the Lord will ever be lost. When we give to the Lord for those who are in need, uh, it, it will never be uh, things that we lose. It'll be a gain for us to the Lord. Verse 21. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. Cold weather does not cause this woman to panic for her household. She's ready for the cold. She's clothed them in scarlet, which is a picture of warm clothes. That is, she's provided expensive garments for them. She spares no cost in protecting her family from the cold. Verse 22. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She even makes her family's bed coverings. She clothes herself in fine linen and purple. Linen is made from flax. And purple is a dye made from a selfish. So her own clothes were signs of her family's well-to-do position. Verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. It says here that the wife makes it easy for her husband to go to work. The city gate was the place where the community business was taking place, where it was done. So her husband was one of the elders in the community. Even though she's clearly assertive and she's competent, and she takes care of business in a way that honors her husband's leadership rather than degrades it. You see, she didn't want to compete with him in his work. She just did her work and she made it easier for him to do his. She respects him and she builds him up. And a husband and a wife, a husband and a wife should complement each other as they try to fulfill their roles according to the will of God. The husband and wife are to, to do the best they can for their spouse. And you know, if both of them have that goal in mind, I am going to be all that I can be for my wife. And my wife says, I am going to be all that I can be for my husband. You will be more than enough. You will be everything. But you see, we look at it, well, you know what? I, she doesn't deserve me to do all this and, and vice versa. And so we don't give of ourselves. We're waiting for the other to do and then I will do. And yet God says, No. You are to do this because it's in obedience to me. I have commanded you to do this. So again, if that's each spouse's goal, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be totally blessed because you're fulfilling the role according to the will of God. The husband who recognizes his wife's strengths and he lets her compensate for his weakness is wise. And, and that's another thing, you know, when couples get married and... and Maybe they don't understand it at first because I know I didn't because it was a real problem for me and Kathy at the beginning of our marriage. And uh, <clears throat> again, it, we, we came from uh, different backgrounds in the sense that, that uh, I was a bump on a log. I could sit all day and do nothing. I could probably still do that, but anyway. Um, <laughs> I had to learn I, I can't do that. And Kathy's a go-getter. She's, she's always doing something. And in the early years of marriage, like on a weekend, I'd be sitting there watching TV and she'd be, doing, she'd be busy doing some vacuuming and cleaning or, 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 or just something. She, you know, and, 
And that used to make me mad. And, and I used to think, she's doing this to aggravate me. <laughs> and we get in arguments all the time. I'd say, why can't you just sit down and, and do nothing? Basically what I was telling her to do. Because that's what I was doing. I wanted her to be like me, a bump on the log. Somebody said, somebody said if you were both alike, one of you wouldn't be necessary. <laughs> and I learned that God brings these differences into relationship because where, where I was weak, Kathy had that strength. You know, we kind of start out here in marriage, and as the years go by, you start to do this because you start to balance each other out. And where Kathy would answer the door and whoever was selling something, she couldn't, she, she has a heart, oh, she, what is, I couldn't say no. I said, let me answer the door next time. <laughs> and so she would, so she learned, I got to be more like Joe in this area. Everybody that comes, I'm buying their product, whatever it is. I, I just couldn't say no. So, you know, as the years go by, we learn to, to, to learn the strengths from the other one where, where I am weak and she is strong and vice versa and you begin to balance each other out you see God knows what he's doing Joe you need her because you need to be more more compassionate you need to be more affectionate another thing in my life I was an affectionate person I didn't see it in my family I carried it into my marriage and I said hey that's the way I am you know that's the way guys that's the way I am you know that's what you married well that doesn't mean that's what you should say and God taught me that and I grew up with two girls. I mean, my, my, my first grandson was the only boy in the family for years. You know, and, and he's only five years old. So you can see how long it took to get a, a boy in the family. I had two sisters. I had two daughters. And, and I was surrounded by girls. And, and you know, I was, I was like a drill sergeant. Kathy said, Joe, you talk to them like they're, they're in the military. You know, she said, you need to be gentle. You need to be compassionate. So she, she taught me that. You need to be affectionate because I wasn't affectionate. We'd be sitting in church over at Golden Springs. She'd say, you notice something about all these men? They got their arm around their wives. And I'm sitting there, and I'd say, basically, I'm sitting there, and I said, well, you know, that's not me. Well, and God says, no, that, you need to change that. You need to be like that. And so, you know, it, God uses those strengths and weaknesses off of each other to balance you out. So, again, uh, remember, it, it, it's important that, that we... we that we let, we let ourselves compensate for our weakness, you know, from, from our spouse. And again, doing this, doing this isn't a sign of personal failure. <clears throat> it, it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not rebellion against God's order because, well, you know, the wife says I'm in charge and I, I know I give the orders and <clears throat> I, I, I'm the one who, you know, says how it's going to be done. But both leadership and submission in a home are signs of love and obedience the one does not counsel out the other. And you know, guys are real good at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. Wives, submit to your husbands. But prior to that, in verse 21, it says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. And remember, God told Abraham, listen to Sarah. He told her, listen to your wife. Because her counsel was good. Because Isaac and Ishmael could not live together. Because one was the work of the flesh. And one was the work of the spirit. So again we have it in the scripture. That again God told Abraham to listen to his wife. Verse 24. <clears throat> she makes linen garments and sells them. And supplies sashes for the merchants. So again her clothing business is mentioned here again. She makes linen clothes for herself. But she's, she, she's such a good seamstress. That she also makes enough to sell. 
Now, linen garments were expensive, so supplying merchants with sashes, which were belts, speaks of her productivity. Verse 25, strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She's confident about the future. In the Bible, to be clothed with something means that it's a part of your life. And it shows itself in your character and your conduct. The wife can laugh at the future, at future problems and troubles. Why? Because she has strength of character and she's ready for emergencies. She's ready to deal with it. She's a woman of faith who knows that God is with her and her family. Verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She's not just a good wife and homemaker who carefully takes care of material needs. She guides her family with words of wisdom. When she speaks, it's not yelling. It's not gossip. It's not slander. It's not idle talk that comes out of her mouth. When she speaks, it's words of wisdom. It's good sense. It's the kind of of words that that would impart grace to the hearers, as Paul said in Ephesians 4.29. And what she says makes an impact on the person. They don't withdraw from what she's saying. It makes an impact. Again, it says here uh, that on her tongue is the law of kindness. For example, her language to those around her is shaped and it's controlled by love. She doesn't beat them down with the gospel. She doesn't put them down with her words. As the overseer of a family, she has to teach and direct her children and she does it with gracious kindness and willing understanding. The Septuagint says it like this, she places order on her tongue. She places order on her tongue. She's a capable teacher of wisdom. She teaches her children the wisdom of God and especially for her daughters, preparing them for the time when they will have their own homes one day. But it's also likely that she shares her insights with her husband and he is smart enough to listen. As I said in Genesis 21, God said, whatever Sarah has told you, listen to her voice. Remember, in the, in the book, earlier in the book, Solomon used a beautiful woman to represent wisdom. This godly wife does the same. Verse 27. She watches over the ways, she watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She's a good overseer. She pays attention to what goes on in her house. She isn't idle, and nothing in her house goes unnoticed. She sees everything, whether it's food, finances, clothing, or school lessons. Managing the household is a demanding job. And she does her work faithfully day and night. And if any husband and father who thinks that his wife has it easy, I dare you if you haven't done it. Just try doing what she does for a day. For a day. And when Kathy used to go to marriage, uh, to... um, Women's retreats, and I stayed home with the girls. <clears throat> oh man, I said, and she does this every day. This is just two days. How does she do it? And I'm still saying that today after almost 50 years of marriage. I don't know how she's done it. I don't know how she's done it, but she has. And, and it is not easy. I, 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 again, I don't know where she gets it, but I'm so thankful that she does. But, um, you know, it's, it's hard. It's tough. It's not easy. 
Again, you know, you'll find out for yourself, guys, how dead wrong you are if you think all she does is stay home and, you know, and that's it. Oh, no. Not at all. Verse 28 through 29. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. She's a woman worthy of praise. And it's a wonderful thing when husband and children can praise wife and mother for faithful ministry at the house. The suggestion here is that this praise was given to her regularly and spontaneously, not just on special occasions, Mother's Day or a birthday. You know, and it's sad when, when the members of the family take each other for granted and don't show their sincere appreciation to show their gratitude and to say thank you. It says here in verse 29 or, uh, that uh, her children call her blessed. She's positive, she's confident, and she enjoys her God-given role in life. Her husband praises her by telling her she's the greatest of the virtuous women. She, she excels them all. Verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. The secret of her life is that she fears God. And boy, it's a wonderful thing if a wife has charm and beauty, but the woman who walks with the Lord and tries to please Him has a beauty that never fades. The husband who has a wife who reads the Word every day, meditates, prays, and seeks to obey His will, and he has a treasure that's more valuable, way more valuable than all the rubies in the world. And I tell you what, guys, you need to praise God for that because that's what enables her to put up with us. That's what I used to think. Oh, I'm, just, I'm such a great guy. I'm a great catch. And, and no, no. Joe, God says, no. It's because of me that she's staying with you. I give her the ability to put up with you. Oh, okay, Lord. So, it ain't all about me, huh? Yeah, I, I learned that real quick when she wanted to leave the marriage and we were almost divorced. And God had to train my whole way of thinking that, yeah, it's not about you, God. You, Joe. You're the one who brought it to this mess. Let me now fix it, but you're going to have to make some changes. Your way of thinking and your thought process is going to have to change, Joe. So thank God that I was able to listen some. Not, not. Anyway, it's not all there, but thank God it was. God did a work there, and hey, we're still hanging in there. So I thank God for that. But um, again, guys, praise the Lord and understand it's, be, it's because of His grace and His mercy you know, that we have such wonderful wives and, and they're a treasure and they're way more valuable, it says here in verse 30, than all the rubies in the world. Verse 31, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Her life is a testimony to others. Her children and her husband acknowledge her value and they praise her. But so do other people in the community. Even the leaders in the city gates are recognize her good works and they honor her. And it says in Proverbs eleven sixteen, a gracious woman retains her honor. And God sees to it that the woman who faithfully serves him and her family is properly honored. And she will definitely have greater honor when she stands before the Lord. Again, because you see, she fulfilled God's will. She did what God had asked her to do. 
And so she will be properly honored by the Lord. And she will definitely have even greater honor, as I said, when she stands before the Lord. This beautiful acknowledgement here and praise to the godly wife and mother tells every Christian woman what she can become if she follows the Lord. And it's also the same thing for the husband. Here, like I said, the the proverb is speaking to the woman, but it's the same thing for the man. If the man will do all that God has called him to do, he can become everything that God wants him to be and everything his wife needs him to be if he follows the Lord. So this is not just a, a, a thing for the ladies. It goes both ways. It also describes for every Christian man the kind of wife that he should be praying for and looking for. But it also reminds the future husband that he'd be better, that he'd better be walking with the Lord and growing in his spiritual life so that he will be worthy of such a woman, of such a wife, if and when God brings her to him. Father, we thank you so much for this final chapter of Proverbs, Lord. And Lord, there is so much to learn when it comes to, the, to marriage and, and, and parenting and the family. And, and Father, it's all here in your word, God. Father, we thank you for this wonderful book. And Father, we ask that you would just help us, God, to be all that you have called us to be. And, and we can be, Father, if we, if we follow the Spirit of God and the commandments of the Word of God, Lord. And, and Father, we pray for the strength and the wisdom and the guidance, Lord. So, Father, we thank you once again for your love and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your goodness to us, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.